This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz here with me, and we're going to recap Michigan's 63 to 10 victory over Northern Illinois. Uh, obviously, with the lopsided nature of the game, this will kind of be more of a big picture episode. We're not going to get into the nitty gritty of each position group because, frankly, everyone did well. I mean, I, I'm going to I do my grades every week. I try to go into pretty, pretty good detail on those grades this week. It might be pretty easy. Uh, not really sure any group's not getting an A. It was uh, just I mean, a demolition, a clinic, lots of lots of cool words you could use there. They, they could have won. They could have won this game. Ninety to three if they wanted to without. And that's not like a stretch either. Like, I genuinely think they could have. So we'll also take a look at where this team is at through three non-conference games and what that means heading into Big Ten play. But first, we can we can stick with this game specifically. Steve, what was your biggest takeaway from this game whether it was something that surprised you something that really stood out to you what what are you leaving this game thinking the most about two things I guess one not not a surprise but but kind of what we talked about before we recorded uh Blake Coram's a special player you know it's when you're watching a a game where, where one team is dominating as as much as Michigan did today sometimes it can kind of be difficult to really draw anything out, you know, from the performance. Cause it's clear one team's just got better players. The coaching is better. Like everything's better across the board, but Blake Corum still does things or did things today within the context of the game that I think are opponent independent, just, just his, his, his vision, his, uh, his cut a bit, like the way he runs the football is special. Uh, I think Michigan has a special player and a guy that I think you said was he on pace for 1400 right now, not say, I don't think he'll get there just because the opponent will be opponents will be more difficult. He'll continue to split carries with Hassan Haskins as well. But, you know, Blake Corum just looks like a special football player. Uh, Second thing too, is the role that it looks like Dalen Baldwin is going to play. He hundred percent healthy. Now I think they mentioned, I think they even mentioned during the telecast, and it's something that we had reported coming off of game one, uh, slightly bum ankle at the end of fall camp. So it wasn't 100%, but you know, made the big play on the, the J.J. McCarthy throw in game one, uh, was targeted consistently today. And looks like, you know, he looks like a guy that's going to be a factor for Michigan at the receiver position going forward. So, you know, we saw, we saw the usual suspects, Without Ronnie Bell, we saw, you know, obviously Cornelius Johnson with the long touchdown catch, Roman Wilson, ton of playing time, AJ Henning, uh, really a threat running the ball, catching the ball, or returning the ball. Uh, but Dalen Baldwin is a guy that got a lot of, it looked like he got a lot of targets today and, and nearly 
Uh, I think he still had three or four grabs, right? But the one, he had the one catch that was, uh, I think, called pass interference. Uh, but is a guy that, A, it looks like Cade McNamara is comfortable throwing the ball to, and B, just looks like a guy that's going to play a lot of snaps. So those are probably the two biggest things. Defensively, I don't really, I don't know. It's hard to tell how much to take away out of a game like this. Uh, you know, uh, it's just, that was uh, sort of what we expected to an extent. So Michigan was dominant on that side of the ball. Uh, but offensively, you know, like I said, I think Coram special player and, and it looks like Dalen Baldwin might play a bigger role than maybe casual fan or even we maybe thought going into the season. Yeah, those are those are both good ones. I'll, I'll talk about Coram in a second. But if I am looking at the defense and trying to round out our collective takeaways, I, I think the one thing that that Northern Illinois is not a good team. They went 0-6 last season. They did beat Georgia Tech earlier this season, and they and they scored 43 points on Wyoming. But I think the one thing I was very curious about going into the game was if Michigan could eliminate the big plays. I mean, that was – I don't need to act like they're the same team as Rocky Lombardi was playing for last year, but that was something that he did well. Uh, you know, Tyrese Ritchie, I believe, is, is his name, the – you know, he's a very good wide receiver. You know, their, their running back entered the game third in the country in, in yards per game. Harrison Whaley. I mean, you know, he was, I think 160 yards per game through, through two games. But uh, so I was really curious about the, the, the big play defense and, and there was one drive where Michigan gave up a few big plays, but other than that, there was really nothing. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, taking a peek at the box score here, there was, I'm looking at, I'm only seeing four plays of more than 10 yards. That's really, really impressive over the, you know, a, a team that conducted 53 total plays. And so I think if there was one takeaway from the defense, cause you're right. It wasn't like there was no one particular player that stood out or one particular position group that, that seemed to do it, but it seemed like a very consistent and, and I guess comprehensive effort from the defense. There was that one drive where they, they seemed a little bit on their heels. They were missing tackles. They were struggling to get off blocks. And then they responded. And, you know, again, we kind of expected them to do well against Northern Illinois, but, but that was Northern Illinois is supposed to be a better offensive team than defensive team. So, so to me, I, I felt like Michigan's ability to, Erase the big the big plays. Uh, pretty low mistake game. Another one, easy to easier to do against a MAC team, but that's still somewhat opponent neutral. Is are you are you making fundamental mistakes that are causing penalties? Last season, the answer was yes. This year, seems like so far Michigan is is a little bit cleaner on the defensive side of the ball. In addition to being a little bit more consistent and complete, and and I agree with you on Corum. Um, I think he's going to end up leading the country with eight touchdowns after this weekend. And we'll see how a couple other games shake out. He entered this game leading the country in all purpose yards, which includes special teams yards along with rushing and receiving yards. Yeah. Just kind of the, the optimal situation of what we forecasted before the season. We talked about his speed. We talked about his strength. We talked about how he's, described as one of the team's fastest players, but also one of the team's biggest gym rats. And that usually bodes well 
but to see it manifest on the field in, in the way that it has, I think is, is um, really very early, but I would argue Michigan's best skill player contributions. Uh, can I say this since Denard? Is that, is that allowed? Is it, is it too soon to say that? It's, but, but if you look and think about receivers, running backs, quarterbacks, there hasn't been one that has kind of entered the national Heisman conversation. It's maybe not Heisman conversation, but entered that maybe like who's the best player in the big 10, because Steve, you and I, before the show, we had a very serious debate about Blake Corum potentially being the best running back in the big 10. And it's a long season. I understand that fans maybe don't want the September hyperbole yet, or that this guy's the best since this, or this guy's the best in the country. That's fine. They haven't really played a, a you know that that many stout opponents yet. But so far, I'm with you, Steve. I think I think this looks opponent. Corum's play looks opponent neutral, and I think the the big plays, the explosive plays, are gonna be there against other Big Ten teams. Can we give Kay McNamara some credit today too? Again. No. No, we can't. <laughs> just kidding. No. Just kidding. No, no, no. <laughs> um, again, there's a, there are uh, – okay, I'm going to go back a little bit on what I said. You can see some things. He's quick release, comfortable in throwing the ball downfield, right? You know, I, I think – and again, we know Northern Illinois, not a very good team. But as we said going into last week's game, we, Washington could very well be the best defensive backfield that Michigan faces all season. Uh two NFL first round mocks at corner. Not sure where their safeties project, but when you're playing them 15, 20 yards deep, you're not going to throw the ball downfield. So not a situation where McNamara is afraid to throw down the field. I think they did it multiple times today. He just missed Cornelius Johnson on a different throw, you know? So I thought it was a reassuring, I, I, I would describe, yeah, that's how I describe it as a reassuring performance from McNamara today. Uh, bodes well in going into conference play with Rutgers coming into town next week. Yeah, I think uh, McNamara's game, one incompletion was just a throwaway. You know, he got hurried. And then the other two were on 40-plus yard passes in traffic to Cornelius Johnson. And, and so, so, so you could argue that maybe there's room to improve, but, but honestly, those throws are, are pretty much 50-50 no matter who's playing quarterback at the college level. I mean, you can there are all Big Ten players who those throws are, are broken up or incomplete. I think one – Fans wanted a pass interference call as well. So, yeah, he uh, he did his job, which, again, if if Michigan can say Cade McNamara did his job nine times this year, I think so far they've been able to say it twice, Michigan's going to a New Year's Six Bowl. I mean, they don't need him to win the Heisman or contend for first-team All-Big Ten for Michigan to be good this season. They have Corum, as we mentioned, Hassan Haskins. Donovan Edwards looked pretty good today, too. 86 yards and eight carries, two touchdowns. So, yeah, I, th- I thought it was, a, it was a nice bounce back game for McNamara. And, you, and, and this is that I think they probably could have thrown a little bit more, but I think they accomplished the goal Michigan did that we mentioned before this game is that this is a game where Michigan should be building some of that chemistry, building some of that rapport between a relatively inexperienced quarterback and a, a even more relatively inexperienced receiver room. I think we saw a little bit of that today. And 
and just testing out things like, like Cornelius Johnson's double move or, or Baldwin on these, on these, um, you know, kind of five yard things where he can get some yards after the catch. So felt, felt like the passing game took a step forward today. Anyways. Uh, yeah, pretty much everyone looks good. So let's let's open the picture up a little bit. Michigan went three no non conference play. They blew everybody out. Arguably, it was it was forty seven to fourteen against Western Michigan. It was thirty one to ten against Washington, and then sixty three to ten against Northern Illinois. I know there's something to be said. Western Michigan beat Pitt today. Northern Illinois beat Georgia Tech. A couple weeks ago, there's something to be said about it. I, I, it's obviously not going to be that tough of a non-conference slate in retrospect. Washington is doesn't look like a team that's going to end up being ranked. Western Michigan, Northern Illinois is as good as they might be for a Power Five upset here and there. That it's it's not going to compare to the to the teams Michigan plays in Big Ten play. But in terms of what we expected heading into the season versus what we learned in non-conference play. Steve, what, what, what is maybe the biggest thing that you learned about Michigan in these last three games? I'm going to go with the offensive line because I think they are becoming what we predicted they could become, right? I mean, that was our – when we previewed the offensive line, the, the, the gist of it was that the talent – they had the talent, the depth, the experience, but we actually needed to see it. I think we're seeing it. I mean, that's what I, I tweeted during the game is like, how many shoestring tackles did Northern Illinois have today? I mean, Michigan was close to breaking about four or five more huge plays because of the Mack truck holes Yeah, they were that the Michigan offensive line was, was providing for the running backs and even like uh, some plays in the passing game as well. So we're kind of seeing it come together offensively. I mean, that the thing is, the one thing that I keep going back to, not about the passing game. It's not about the between-the-tackles running game. It's that, well, okay, let me the, – the fact that they can run in between the tackles as effectively as they have is finally opening up those reverses and end-around things that Michigan's been trying to do under Harbaugh for how long. And when you have an A.J. Henning or a Roman Wilson – like those plays are going to become more and more effective because of Michigan's ability with Corum and Haskins to just run the football and the ability to kind of have a multifaceted run attack is going to open so many more things up for Michigan, whether they want to run or throw the ball. So seeing them up front, just mash. I mean, even the Cornelius Johnson touchdown, I think that was as much offensive line driven as any play in the game. I mean, McNamara was able to sit back there and comfortably, you know, throw the football to an open receiver down the field because he had a, a massive pocket to step into and make the throw. So feels like Michigan's offensive line looks as good as I've seen him under Harbaugh, which was apparently blasphemy in the preseason stuff that we talked about because of the guys that they put out a couple of years ago, you know, with the Bredesen and Runyon and Ruiz and who are all great offensive linemen are still in the NFL. But this, it just felt like that there was a chance for this offensive line to be special. The Sharon Moore hire or promotion looks really good, you know, and, and it, 
all kind of culminates into the like the excitement that they seem to be that the team seems to be enjoying themselves more too. Not to really segue into a totally different thing, but that unit and their performance and the excitement about their performance kind of seems to be, I don't know, uh, setting the tone, I suppose, for everybody else. You know, I think of the uh, some of the reaction yet the last week on the sidelines when Michigan was just mashing the football. I think that stuff like really gets guys fired up and is something that they can carry with them throughout the rest of the season as they continue to do it. So really impressed with them up front. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. Even the guys they've put in late, you know, like even Greg Crippen looked good last week against Washington as a true freshman and Trente, Trente Jones has, I know he had a holding call today, but either way, like he's looked solid. Reese Atterbury has had some good snaps. Like, they just look deep up front, and it just it, it goes to show how much good offensive line play can open things up for everybody else. Yep, yep. No, I I agree. Um, gonna gonna pat ourselves on the back a little bit there. I think think one of my bold predictions for the year was that Michigan would have a twenty eighteen esque offensive line resurgence, and that that running the ball would be a strength. I didn't think they'd have almost twelve hundred yards or eleven hundred yards through three games, but you're right. They're, they're mashing. They look deep. That second string offensive line, if I'm not mistaken, was in for a couple of those touchdown runs and, and was just still, still beating up Northern Illinois. You can, can take the grain of salt with that if you like, but, but the line has passed every test so far. I'm going to go on the other side. I, I did not expect Michigan's defensive front to look this improved. I thought that they would be improved. I, I, I mean, it certainly felt like with Aiden Hutchinson and Josh Ross you know, healthier, uh, a little bit leaner, felt like that would help. Felt like a, a more, an older Mozzie Smith, older Chris Hinton. You know, once, once you start hearing the hype about Nikai Hill Green, you're kind of thinking, okay, the group will, will, could be better than, than last year. I think groups looked pretty good. Really curious to see that Wisconsin game now. Granted, it's a couple weeks away, but I'm now looking at that and thinking, well, they're big. They have a lot of new contributors, guys like uh, Jalen Harrell, who got his first or first career start today. David Ajabo has done pretty well. Chris Jenkins, I thought, had a really nice game against Washington. You know, Mike Morris has has gotten some pretty good run, even if the box score stats aren't anything outrageous. Feels like not only has the group improved on an individual, like each individual player has improved, the scheme, the pass rushing scheme, the run stopping scheme just seems to fit this group more. And it, it, it really makes you, we'll see, maybe in a month we can, we can revisit this, but it really makes you wonder just how bad of a fit or how predictable Michigan's previous front seven schemes were last season. And so, yeah, I think there's some credit due to Sean Nua. I think he got the group bigger. Mike McDonald certainly deserves credit too. Uh, got the group bigger, you know, kind of got the edges and the tackles to, to work really well together. This defense looks ahead of schedule. And, and I think there's improvements in the secondary that are noteworthy. But to me, I think, I think the fact that the front seven and that defensive line look 
you know, adequate, serviceable, like something Michigan can work with. I think, I think that's been something that, that of all the things that happened so far this season that, uh, you know, I didn't see coming. That's, that's the one that surprised me the most. The other one, and Steve, I, I want to get your thoughts on this because, because obviously you, you covered how this class came together. Michigan's 2020 class is, is starting to really kind of uh, poke its head out there as a, as a, as a truly elite recruiting hall for Michigan guys like Corum, AJ Henning, who has maybe been another breakout player like Corum this season, you know, Harrell Jenkins, um, RJ Moten, Kai Hill green, Zach Zinter. Uh, if I'm, if I'm forgetting someone who's contributing quite a bit, feel free to jump in with a name or two, but, but really you're starting to see guys, play really well and, and that not just play well, but put veteran guys on the bench. I mean, that does not happen a ton in college football, even at, on teams that, that practice the meritocracy, like, like Michigan and Jim Harbaugh do. I mean, it's not too often that, that someone who started one fall is, is almost, you almost don't even see or hear from them the following fall because a, a redshirt freshman or a sophomore is just playing that well, but that's, that's where Michigan's at. And it seems like pretty much every position group, uh, save for, I guess, I guess quarterback has a second year player, a guy who did not get a spring season in 2020. If they enrolled early, didn't get a conventional fall camp, wasn't able to like really get into a rhythm of practice. Didn't get that first summer of off season training but they did get that taste of college football and they got a bitter taste with a two and four start. Next thing you know, they attack this off season and suddenly they're, they're key contributors on the team. So to me, I think that's, that's something I'm, I'm kind of keeping an eye on and, and it, it almost makes me wonder, well, who else is in that 2020 class? Like, are there more, are there other players that can step up and play pretty significant roles this season? So that, you know, in addition to the offensive line, the defensive line has surprised me a little bit. And that 2020 class, not a huge surprise. I mean, there were, I, th I felt like that was a pretty well-scouted class. Uh, I think the, the context of basically everyone getting a redshirt year to kind of get their feet wet academically, you know, they weren't necessarily thrown into the fire. They got to go at their own speed. And now they're, now they're at full speed. But yeah, that 2020 class suddenly, I mean, that was the best case scenario for Michigan is younger players coming in and, and really without sounding like a jerk or trying to sound like a jerk, putting veteran starters in reserve or bench roles. I think that's really significant for Michigan if they, if they really want to make a leap this season. Athletes, right? At least the guys that are contributing talk about rj moton henning even Braden mcgregor you know is finally healthy that was a thing you know i think he's a guy that maybe well okay i shouldn't say would have seen snaps last year because no young player saw snaps last year but uh a guy if this if this defensive staff had been in place he probably would have seen snaps last season that's really kind of the big theme uh, obviously quorum like quorum goes without saying at this point but on the it's because a lot of the emergers 
have been on the defensive side, right? And that was a lot of what we had talked about a thousand times because the guys that played last year that were freshmen, what, all all of them offensive? Roman Wilson, Zach Zinter, Corum, Henning, those guys were all offensive players. Yeah, Paige, Paige played a little bit. A little, a smidge, right? And that was almost out of desperation. They were like, they were banged up at safety and just mm-hmm. didn't really have anybody. But this season, we're immediately... Chris Jenkins, another one. So, and Amon Dennis is a guy I'm interested in. Like, he's an athlete. I'm interested to see if Michigan can find a role for him because I think they still think he's got a shot. We did see a healthy amount of Matthew Hibner today, too. But, no, I think the biggest thing, when you talk about 2020, I think the biggest thing is they've let some of the athletes on the defensive side start to shine a little bit. And I think it's been a microcosm of where – the shift has been because if we're being honest, the guys that are making an impact on the, as true freshmen this year have been mostly on the defensive side. We talk about Colson, uh, Rod Moore, you know, the guys that we've seen a little bit more than the other guys are on the defensive side of the ball. So I think that's really my biggest takeaway as far as that goes with the 2020 deal, because yeah, because Michigan was offensively was not afraid to throw those guys out there. I mean, think about it. Last year against Minnesota, opening drive, first play of the season went to Blake Corum, and Roman Wilson was on the field. And Zach Zinter played a ton, right? So I always, like like we said, it was more of the situation where it was uh, one side of the ball was not afraid to play guys early. The other side of the ball seemed deathly afraid to put guys on the field before their, like, their second or third year on campus. So... I mean, we even read stories a couple of years ago about it was taking Daxon Hill a while to, you know, talking about like the bridge program and that, you know, he's getting acclimated to the defense where it's like a guy like Daxon Hill would have been playing day one at Alabama or Ohio State or Clemson or wherever. So that's yeah, stuff- it wouldn't have been sorry to sorry to interrupt. No, you're like, fine. It, there no. wouldn't have been, oh, he's got to figure out the defense. It would have been, no, he's playing. He's playing. He's one of the best athletes in the world. Yeah. He's out there, whether he makes mistakes or not, this defense will figure out a way to make him an impact player. Exactly. And that's, and we're seeing that now. And I think, or I think it should be refreshing for Michigan fans is that Michigan fan, Michigan has always uh, recruited like elite athletes. The question was more about them acclimating themselves to the college game. And that was, that was what was so weird under Brown was they were, they were recruiting guys who were plus plus athletes, but maybe hadn't quite refined the football side of things. But instead of them allowing them to learn it on the field, it was like a little bit of a, it was like a slower process. Like, you know, now we're seeing a little bit more of an expedited baptism by fire. Like we talked about last week, with, especially I think with Rod Moore, where it's like, we're seeing, I don't think, I think after they signed, I, I don't think you or I would have ever predicted we'd see Rod Moore covering Washington's number one receiver in the second game of his, you know, since he's been on campus, right. We would have never seen that last year. So that's like a, been a welcome transition. And and that's one area, like specifically with the 2020s on defense where it's like, let these guys, yeah, let these guys go, let them, you know, like I got to think, and this is where maybe we'll, maybe I'll do a little more digging personally, you know, are they just, are they letting them just, play football and I know that sounds like a really simple like dumb way to say it but are they just letting these guys run letting them learn 
you know, how is the coaching staff approaching it with these younger guys? Whereas the last staff would have been a much more touch and go slow approach where we, where is the new staff going with it? Where it's, you know, just let them get on the field, let them learn, let them figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I asked, asked Mike McDonald about it the other day. I, I, he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't going to throw the previous defense under the bus, but kind of reiterating, I guess Jim Harbaugh's approach is competition should be a good thing. And, and if, if a player is coming in and making plays, how can the coaching staff convert that into being a good player? So that's, those are two separate things, but they're very connected. If your program is, is one that's built on development and production, we're going to hit a quick break on the other side. We'll talk, uh, you know, I guess key remaining questions along with, are there changed expectations for this season for the Michigan football team? You're listening to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, welcome back. Thanks for waiting. Steve, not a ton of questions after a 3-0 start that was pretty lopsided. I guess the, the big obvious question is, Will it work against better teams? But any any more specific questions you have about this about this team heading into conference play? It is a tough one because they've looked so crisp, right? You know, because my my thing is I don't know if we really know what Wisconsin is yet. Think Penn State, Auburn. We'd learn more about Penn State that may tell us more about Wisconsin if that makes any sense to anybody listening. Just that, you know. Wisconsin whooped on Eastern Michigan last week. I don't think that really means a ton. I still want to see, you know, the, the consensus seems to be that Washington's offensive line has been a huge bust and a huge disappointment so far. So I am interested to see what a uh, Michigan matchup against like a Wisconsin up front. I think that'll be fascinating. We'll go a long ways because it does still feel like Wisconsin's passing game is very stoppable. Otherwise, you know, otherwise, I guess it really it really still is. Can Michigan because it, it does. It feels like Michigan. They're not going to run for 300 yards every Saturday. We know that that's obviously. But it does. It just it's hard to imagine them not being able to run the ball effectively. I, I don't know who's left on the schedule where I don't feel like they can. So I think there's still that that lingering idea is can can they still move the ball down the field in the passing game? to have that push-pull balance 
and keep seven and a half guys, let's say, out of the box. Sure. Right. So, I mean, that'd be really the only major thing. I, I you know, I'd like to see, and again, it's they won 63 to 10. Still like to see them get the tight ends and a little bit more involved in the passing game. I think that would be a big benefit for them. Receiver wise, you know, I again, we see Cornelius Johnson. If they just throw him the ball more, he's going to catch it. That's like kind of the way I feel. Uh, I know you feel the same way. He's your guy. Uh, he was your breakout pick. He looked great today. So that it's not a situation necessarily where it's like not questioning the receivers, just more wondering if can Michigan effectively move the ball down the field. One teams start to respect that running game, which it feels like they're going to have to, you know, and that's, that's where this team is so enticing because if, if you feel like you can effectively run the ball, that means you're going to have opportunities in the passing game. So I think there's still that idea is, is in a big game and against legit defense or on a, on the, in a tough road environment, can McNamara still move the ball down the field? I think that's really going to be, uh, you know, probably the biggest question that, and like I said, the defensive front still, just still want to see again in a bigger game and maybe in a road environment, see how they kind of handle things. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think one, just since we're on the defensive front, only one and a half sacks from the defensive front from players not named Aiden Hutchinson through three games in three games in which they were facing a lot of passing plays. So seems like there's more push. Closing out on those pushes, though, is is pretty important. Um, you know, can't just be Ross on third downs and Aiden Hutchinson relatively consistently. Like it has to be, there has to be a little bit more of a push there. Yeah, I'm with you on the passing game. I guess will can they pass to win? Because I think they can throw the ball. That seems pretty apparent. I think this these these discussions of Cade McNamara as if he is a well I guess I won't use a name but you know like a 2017 caliber this is a 2017 type passing game I don't buy that I, I think they'll be able to pass the ball consistently he did it against a couple big 10 teams last year has looked pretty good this year and I and I will say they won't run for 300 yards in every single game this year this is the best running game Michigan has had that I can honestly remember. And now memory calls only about a decade since I, you know, really started like noticing that, that kind of stuff, but Zach, they've already run for more yards than they did all of last year. I know. Yeah. Yeah. Almost I mean, 1100. Yeah. That's, you know, I don't get that is that's opponent independent. Well, so it isn't, it isn't just hey, because I, they were trailing so much last season, but, but I'm with you in, I mean, their efficiency, even when they were playing Mac teams or, or non-conference games in 2015 and 2016, uh, I guess 2017, they had a pretty good ground game. You know, they weren't running like this. It wasn't three players having multiple rushing touchdowns. It wasn't Michigan having three guys who could probably run for 150 yards if Michigan gave him the ball 20 times. And, and say what you will about Washington. I'm not convinced that they are some putrid defense like that's to me i think that is among the top five or six defenses michigan will face this season it is i guess we'll see but that's my personal opinion having watched them last season 
watch them against Montana, watch them against Michigan. I think they have size, they have strength. So I don't think they need to be a 300 yard passing type of team, but can they be 200 when they need 200? Not just against Northern Illinois, but against the Wisconsin, against a Michigan state, against a Penn state in those types of games that they could honestly go either way. And so Michigan's going to have to throw the ball a little bit because all three of those teams are consistently top 15, top 20 in run defense. And that's not even to mention Ohio State, I guess, you know, we'll see. Perhaps their defense will be comparable to those other teams. But yeah, can they can they throw to win? They can complete a cool pass when they're up by three touchdowns. They can, you know, complete the little out routes here and there. They can kind of they can make they can make some passing plays and be efficient, but but if if the game's on the line and they don't really have time to run the ball, can they be a team that that passes to win? That's a pretty that's a pretty significant question. Another question I, I'm I I am curious about the secondary in pass coverage. I think I think the group excellent tacklers. I think they're pretty good at, at reading plays. They're better at diagnosing stuff now. Steve, I, I know Rocky Lombardi fans know him. I know Caleb Ellaby is supposed to be one of the better quarterbacks in the Mac. Is it fair to say that the group hasn't been truly tested like they might in big 10 play so far this season and, and Washington, arguably the, 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 the secondary struggled in pass coverage a little bit against you know, a passing attack that I don't think was projected to be that dangerous. So that that's maybe another one is it, kind of like the passing game. They've done the job so far, but it's, it, you don't know until, until, you know, so that'd be, that'd be another question that I have final thought in this podcast. I think we both predicted eight and four, our record prediction might not change. But Steve, do you have any changed expectations for Michigan after what you have seen so far in non-conference play? And if they are changed expectations, what what has changed your mind a little bit? I mean, I, I think I think their play up front on both sides is going to give them a chance uh, against anybody they play this season. Ohio State is barely beating Tulsa as we speak. Lost to Oregon last week. And they end up beating Minnesota, but that was a game for a lot longer than I think many people might have anticipated. We don't, like I said earlier, we don't know about Wisconsin necessarily. And, and by proxy, we don't know about Penn State. You know, we'll see how Penn State fares against Auburn. I feel like the ceiling is definitely higher for Michigan, for sure. Today, what's the best way to describe it? Uh, again, an inferior opponent, but this kind of felt like a classic Michigan against inferior opponent type game where they just kind of did what Michigan would do back in the day against a, a crap team. So yeah, it was a boring blowout. Right. And, but that's, yeah. but that's what it used to, you know, I think a lot of, I'm assuming even a lot of our listeners, probably some of their best Saturday traditions are going to the classic Michigan 56 to seven win over who knows who, you know, like that, that's just the way it, you know, it always was. So I think in that regard, I think it's, it's fair to raise the expectations for the season. I don't know if that, you know, on, does that mean that I'm 
changing a pick for any specific game yet? No, but I think I'm more open to in a couple situations at this point. So, I mean, here, I mean, I mean, here we are, Zach, we're talking about Michigan looks way better than we thought they might, that they may have looked early this early in the season. They're more effective in a lot of areas than we thought they would. It's only fair in, in, in turn to raise the expectations a little bit. You know, I think they're probably raising their expectations or they probably had high expectations to begin with. I don't know what team doesn't. So, um, I, you know, I, I think it's a matter of it's kind of that that Hallmark game by Hallmark game. So they'll play, they'll host Rutgers next week. Rutgers has looked good. They beat Syracuse. They beat, they beat Temple, which again, for Rutgers is solid because Rutgers teams in the past might not have won either of those games, but we still expect Michigan to win. And then you go to Madison. So this, like, if they get past that one, they'll probably win the next two games after that in Nebraska and Northwestern. Then we move on to Michigan State, where Michigan State looks good. Uh, I think Miami stinks from the quarter of that game that I watched, but it also Michigan State also looks solid. You know, I don't know that's to win in three uh, by three touchdowns on the road against a power five opponent is impressive. I don't care if the team stinks or not. So either way, as far as Michigan goes, uh, I think it's fair to raise the expectations because I think the potential is definitely there. They have a dynamic offensive line. They have a Corum is a guy that if he was playing for a top five team right now would be the favorite, the runaway favorite to win the Heisman trophy. Right. Do you agree with me there? I mean, if he was playing for a preseason top 10 team and was putting up these stats, the first three weeks of the season, he would probably be the prohibitive favorite. Um, maybe alongside Bryce Young. Yeah, I was going to say right? Bryce I Young mean, is like I think he's almost like 2 to 1 odds at this point to win the Heisman. Yeah, no, I know, but you know, he's But got, I'm with you. I'm with you. You understand and, what I'm saying. And, and the thing is Corum, he wouldn't be like lost in the rotation at right. any of those schools. He would be their go-to guy. Right. So, you know, and then on the defensive side, I think the other thing too, and this is what we this is one big thing that I was big on going into the year, I said, if Michigan's star players can be stars, it's going to make life easier for everybody else. And so far, Aiden Hutchinson has been a star. And I feel like Daxon Hill has pretty much been a star also. And I think it's helped that defense impress and look like a type of defense that could slow enough team or uh, teams down enough to let the off, give the offense chances to win football games. So you know, people can, people can make whatever expectations they want. I would say my expectations have definitely at least been slightly raised and the game in Madison in a couple of weeks, I think is going to be very, very interesting because I, I just, again, we don't really, I don't really think we know what Wisconsin is that Wisconsin Penn state game was really weird. I don't think either offense looked comfortable, but I don't know if that's because each defense was good. It was just, it wasn't a very, it was a pretty sloppy game in my opinion, from what I watched. And, uh, but Michigan, what they've lost five straight in Madison. And uh, it's always a tough place to play. And we know that Michigan teams under Harbaugh have struggled on the road against legit competition. So um, that's going to be a fascinating game in two weeks. Yeah, yeah, it, it will. And, and one thing that will be very interesting is I think the last couple times Michigan has gone to Wisconsin, they've been pretty banged up and they've been humbled I think they each time they kind of went in confident that they would win, but there had been warning signs that it maybe wasn't 
a Michigan team running it at full steam. And so, um, you know, they, they took Army to overtime before they went in 2019. And then in 2017, they were down to their number three quarterback and had already lost a couple times earlier in the season. So, um, yeah, very, very fascinated by that. And to me, I, I don't think any expectations on my end will change until that game happens, just because there's so much that we don't know. As far as potential, I'm with you. I think I think the trench play and the improved defense that we've seen so far, to me, that raises the floor of the team. I don't think this is a team that's going to bottom out and go six and six or five and seven, uh, which which might sound ridiculous, but a lot of fans were actually like literally writing to us saying that that's what they expected. And, and it feels like a team that, that should comfortably get seven, eight, nine wins somewhere in that window. Um, even if the, the best teams in the big 10 turn out to be better. I, I think that they'll, it feels, feels like they'll, they'll hold serve against teams like Rutgers at home, you know, the road game against Maryland, Northwestern, you know, those types of games are not, toss-ups or anything i mean those 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 seem closer to victories for michigan and then i i'm intrigued i'm not i'm not changing expectations but i'm intrigued by the raised ceiling that i think blake corum provides michigan because this is a point i've made in previous podcasts in past years michigan really has not had a star like a true star at quarterback or running back could argue since Denard Robinson, and if you want to argue from an NFL draft perspective, since Chad Henney and Mike Hart. Well, all three of those guys had pretty successful careers at Michigan and, and were on some of Michigan's more successful teams in the last 20 years. And it's very hard to, to run through college football's top teams in the last five, six, seven years and not not see a star quarterback or a star run like a true star true top five top ten in their position in the entire country not a lot of teams that make the playoff not a lot of teams that are in contention for the playoff can get that far without without someone at quarterback or running back and so to me Corum, yeah he's a little bit of an x factor for michigan's ceiling this year because if he plays out of his mind or plays like a like one of the top five or 10 running backs in the country against Wisconsin against Penn state. Well, suddenly Michigan has a pretty good chance of winning those games because those teams do not appear at least right now to have those kind of players to match. I mean, everyone talks about Penn state, you know, when they won the big 10, well, Saquon Barkley really helped them out a lot. I mean, they're not winning that big 10 and they're not making the new year six the next year without Saquon Barkley, Jonathan Taylor had a similar impact to Wisconsin. And even though they've had great quarterback play, I think J.K. Dobbins and Zeke Elliott are two guys who really helped put Ohio State over the top in previous years. So a lot of it comes down to quarterback play. But in college, especially in the Big Ten, a star running back can raise your ceiling. So far, Blake Corum seems to have that potential. So, so to me, Still, I'm still waiting to see in terms of should is it fair to expect Michigan to make a New Year's Six Bowl or is it fair to expect Michigan to do blank? 
I still think, I mean, Penn State plays Auburn tonight. Wisconsin plays Notre Dame next week. And then Michigan and Wisconsin play. I mean, those, those three games will give us a very good sense of where Michigan kind of stacks in the, in the Big Ten hierarchy. Because there are some other teams. Some teams look worse, but there are some teams that look better. I think Michigan State, as you mentioned, is, is a big one. Um, you know, Maryland and Rutgers are both going to be 3-0. and uh, I guess Nebraska might be on the, on the mend after their loss to Illinois. So, you know, there's, there's still, it's still a very tough schedule. There's still a lot of intriguing elements to this season for the, for the Wolverines, but I think the floor is higher. I think the ceiling is higher so far through non-conference play for two very different reasons. Steve, any, any final thoughts on, on today's game or what you've seen in the first three weeks of the season? Not on that. I would say this, though, especially even going back to last week, and you talk about your last point about, you know, Jonathan Taylor, J.K. Dobbins and stuff. The single biggest reason why Ohio State has dominated Michigan the last 15, however many years, is because they have ran the football down Michigan's throat in those games. Think about Beanie Wells, yep. Dobbins, Elliott, Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde. That is the single biggest reason why Michigan has failed continuously against Ohio state is because Ohio state has been able to run the football up the gut borderline at will at points, Mikey Weber. Right. So that's, I was like Michigan running the ball as effectively as they've been able to so far this season should be such a good, Think about it's like JT Barrett was not a great passer of the football, right? So Michigan with Kate, like we like what Cade McNamara did today. We like what he did against Western Michigan. We don't really know what he did. The, the, the 44 yards, if they showed the stat before the game, it was like they said, it was the lowest amount of yards a Michigan quarterback has thrown for in a game since 2000. That's such an outlier stat that I think Michigan fans should maybe breathe a little bit and, th- and realize that Michigan decided they just at, – at some point in that game, Michigan realized they could run the football at will and they just decided to. Which, again, is a little bit of a rehash of what we talked about after that game. But offensively, I think Michigan fans should be excited as hell that this team is able to run the football against anybody just about. And I think they'll be able to that. And like I said, that goes back to the point we made in the last last segment was the question will be, can they throw it? But the running game will should be barring something, an injury or something catastrophic. Almost. They should be able to run the ball effectively enough to give themselves shots in the passing game. And that's something I don't know if Michigan has had in, in quite a while. Because I think when Michigan has struggled offensively under Harbaugh, it has been because they have maybe almost forced the running game a little bit too much in certain situations. This season, it looks like they're going to be able to run the ball well enough to do everything else they maybe want to do. It'll just be a matter of can they execute that. So, you know, that's why I say you like people – griping about running and not passing enough. And like we, we did like what they did in the passing game today, but 
you go back and look at the Michigan Ohio State game, which is again Michigan Ohio State. This is what you're looking. This is what it's all about. Is Ohio State has run the football down Michigan's throat almost every year, and it's been the difference in pretty much all of those games outside of the couple of the Rodriguez. I mean, the Rodriguez, the Trell Pryor, like those were games were out of hand before halftime. But the ones that were Michigan has even remotely contended. It's been the difference in the game has been Ohio State's ability to run the football. So if you're a Michigan fan, I think you should be ecstatic that they're running the football as well as they are this early in the season. Yeah, yeah, all, all pretty valid points. And, and you're absolutely right. I, I will probably, after the podcast, just going to take some time. There's a stat out there that, that Michigan has only won like one game under Jim Harbaugh when they don't average at least four yards per carry it's some it's something ridiculous I mean it's very part of it is just because that's that was the kind of offensive system they had in 2015 2016 2017 I guess 2018 too but in in the Big Ten when you're playing games in November you've got to be able to run the football so um, you know get first downs avoid third and longs not put so much pressure on, on your quarterback. I mean, you do have to be able to, to be a, a team that can, I guess, run the ball, run, run the ball to win the game. Anyways, for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. Check out all of our stories over at the Michigan insider.com Michigan 24 seven sports.com. Be sure to, to check in on our other podcast about basketball, which is, which is just around the corner and recruiting as well. This has been the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. We'll see you next time. The chilling new original docuseries on Paramount+. Plus. Why did he kill his family? The answer lies across the ocean in a woman named Sylvie. She's a can model. Where desire leads to deception. I ended up spending twelve and $15,000 a day. It was addictive. I can't get you out. And obsession leads to murder. Who did this to your family? You can't really maintain a fantasy forever. Control-Alt-Desire, now streaming on Paramount+.